You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. Well, this weekend, we're officially kicking off our fall season here at Southwest, and uh, we're making you aware that there's some great opportunities uh, coming up in the life of the church. In two weeks from today, we're going to be kicking off a church-wide small group series entitled More. And as you came in today, hopefully you saw those books uh, sitting there. They've been out there for the last couple weeks, and we want to encourage you to... uh, uh, to pick one up and begin reading. And although you don't have to read this book to participate in the small group uh, and the message series on the weekends that will uh, parallel that, uh, if you really want to get the most out of this more series, I, I don't know if you can say that, the most out of more, but if you want to get the most out of more, we want to encourage you to pick up one of these books. It's subtitled, Find Your Personal Calling and, and live life to the fullest measure. And so we want to encourage you to do that. And, and, and actually, if you want to get the very most out of this series and prepare for it, uh, if you could read the first three chapters during the month of September, because when that first week of small groups, we're going to actually be talking about those first three chapters of the book, and then, uh, and then you'll kind of go from there. So uh, hopefully you can do that. Uh, also, since we're really, uh, we really believe here at Southwest that to really experience what we are all about as a church, that it's very important uh, to connect to a small group. And so uh, today, and I'm not sure if all the small group leaders are ready yet to begin promoting it, uh, but uh, there are sign-up sheets and uh, different displays on the tables behind you and in the very back. And so if you would like to sign up in a, for a small group, you can stop by and speak to one of the small group leaders. And small group leaders, if you weren't prepared to start promoting it, uh, you can do that the next couple of weeks. And we'll try to have these tables up so that you can uh, uh, have a way to, to sign up. Also, you'll see in the bulletin a listing of all the small groups that are taking place in the church this fall. And, um, and then we want to encourage you also, there's a survey in there because as we say, we really believe that to to get the full effect and impact of being a part of Southwest, it's important to get involved in small groups. We think that's where discipleship really takes place. And, and so because of that, uh, we want to just find ways to encourage more and more people to take that step. Uh, but we know that some people maybe have a little bit of apprehension or maybe you've had a bad experience in the past. Even if you've had a bad experience here, we'd like to know about that. So we've got a survey uh, in the bulletin. We'd love for you to fill that out. And you can either put it in the offering as it's passed later in the service or put it in one of the boxes along with your communication card in the bulletin. Uh, we'd love to get that feedback. And yet during the next two weeks as we're promoting this upcoming fall series, uh, we're going to use these two weeks to just revisit some very basic, important principles and and guiding principles for us as a church uh, in a series that we're calling Hashtag, okay? Now, some of you maybe remember 
before Jimmy Fallon was on The Tonight Show and poking fun at hashtag usage, uh, when a hashtag was a symbol on a telephone that we used to call it the pound symbol, okay? Some of you, and if you're young enough that you don't know what I'm talking about when I say pound symbol, then, well, you're probably... 30 or younger, okay? But uh, uh, for, for many of us, we remember when it was a pound symbol, and it's still on telephones, and you can still use it to activate certain voice messages or, or interact with some kind of automotive uh, phone uh, interaction there. But over the past 10 years, this symbol has been refocused in the world of social media. Now, typically, hashtags are used to highlight a certain focus or to connect with others on social media that have a common interest. And I'm just guessing today that there might be uh, some people on social media later today putting something like hashtag bingles, okay? I'm just uh, uh, thinking that might be, and some of you say, I would never put that, but you might put hashtag stealers, okay? Uh, and I know that, oh, getting some people reaction here, okay? And hopefully we don't have anybody in the crowd that's sitting next to somebody of an opposing jersey and come to blows or anything. Remember, uh, we're about, all about love here, okay? But, uh, uh, but for me, I don't do either of those. I do hashtag Colts, and uh, we play today as well, though we didn't do very well last week, okay? Um, but during the next two weeks, we're going to utilize the hashtag to refocus and connect with one another on our common purpose and mission as a church. So today we want to examine hashtag purpose. Now when I think of an individual organization or church as purpose statement, when I think of a purpose statement for any of those entities, I think it should clearly describe the reason for that organization or for that church to exist. When we started Southwest Church 19 years ago, this next month, we asked ourselves, what was God calling us to be as a church? Why was it important for us to exist in this region of Southwest Ohio, which is where we came up with our name? This was a big deal for the founding members of our church. It was a big deal for me personally. And so I thought uh, as we talk about purpose today, I would share with you a little bit about the evolution of our purpose statement as a church. When we first began as a church, we, we worked hard on a purpose statement. We really liked it. We thought it had a biblical basis and foundation, and yet it was just too long. Nobody learned it, okay? And here it was, and see what, I, see what I mean by this, okay? It says, Southwest Church exists to magnify God in life and worship, to passionately carry out the mission of sharing Jesus with others, to minister the needs of the community, to help Christians mature in their spiritual growth, and to develop a sense of belonging for the members of the church family. I like this purpose statement, but after a number of years, we figured out that I was the only one that had it memorized, okay? And we, we put it on coffee cups, we put it on note. Uh, you know, bookmarks, we put it on notepads, we put it in the bulletin every week, but it was just too long for people to really embrace. So our leadership read a book called Simple Church, and we said we need to simplify it. And so we simplified it down to this current purpose statement, love God, love people, serve the community, and share Jesus. And I've told this before, but after spending several months getting it from that big paragraph down to this, this more concise statement, right after that, I went to a conference, a leadership conference, and one of the speakers said, you should be able to say your purpose statement in three words or less. And I went, man, it took us three months to get it down to this. 
how are we going to get it down to three words? And so I came back to our leadership team, and we said, what if we focus on the verbs? Love, serve, and share. That's what we're called to be. And that's what we're called to do, is to love, serve, and share. And as I prepared for this message, as I regularly do, I prayed and asked God for his help and intervention. And as I often pray, I prayed specifically that if, if Jesus were here to speak to us as a church, what would he say about that purpose statement? Is that in line with his purpose for the church? And if so, how would he articulate that? And what would he say to us about that? And so, with that in mind, I just said, well, let's, let's start from the beginning. And what did Jesus say about church? Okay, some people today kind of dismiss church and think it's an afterthought and, and try to say, well, Jesus didn't talk a lot about the church. Well, he, he didn't say that word a lot, but, but he did mention it. In fact, I did a search, a Bible search, uh, of when Jesus first used the word church. And this is what I discovered in Matthew 16 in verse 16. Now, the context of this, let me just give you a little bit of context here, is this is in a conversation with his first followers, and he asked them, who do people say I am? And then after they told him what people were reporting, then he says, well, what do you say? Who do you say I am? And let's pick up the conversation there in Matthew 16, verse 16. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Some of your translations might read, you are the Christ." the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it, or some translations say overcome it. Now, some have pointed out that the term Jesus uses here in the original, uh, uh, at least it's, it's written down in the original Greek language by Matthew, is the, the word ekklesia, okay, the word for church. Now, the Jewish people used that term to describe their gatherings or their assemblies. They would call it an ekklesia. And if, if you want to know what that word literally means, that word means those who are called out, Okay. So the church, if you've never thought about it before, are the people that are called out of the world to have a particular focus, faith, and purpose in life. And yes, it's true that the Jewish people use this term, but Jesus uh, gave it a distinct spin because he said, it's my ecclesia. It's Jesus' church. Now, although I think it's good for us to uh, take ownership for being a part of the church, in fact, I like to listen to people talk about the church because, or whatever church they're a part of, because it tells you a little bit about whether or not they take ownership or not. Uh, I, I listen to people, do they say, you know, well, you as the church or Southwest Church, or if they're talking to me, do they say your church? I love it when people start saying my church or our church. It tells me there's been a transition, that they've taken ownership, that they're excited about being a part, and uh, they're taking that responsibility. And I think that's good and healthy. And yet, I think it's also important for us to, to humbly recognize 
that the church isn't your church or it's not my church. It's Jesus' church. And we need to keep that in focus. And it's significant that Jesus introduces the church, that term church, to coincide with Peter's foundational confession statement that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, Lord and Savior. That's the unifying confession statement, kind of like what we sang today when we sang that beautiful song, I Believe. It's those faith statements and those faith beliefs that that truly unite us. And we're united on the truth that Jesus is Lord and Savior and that He builds His church. Now, many will point to this passage and say that Jesus built the church upon Peter, and we don't really have time to dig into that today, but uh, let me just share with you from my study and from my examination of this passage, I believe that Peter served a very important role, but, but I believe that, that what Jesus is saying, if you really dig into this passage, is that he's going to build his church not upon any one person, but upon the foundation of what Peter proclaimed and that is that he is Lord and Christ. What is this church to be like? Well, we've gone through Scripture and focused on three verbs, love, serve, and share. And what I want to to look at the rest of our time together is what did Jesus say about those three words? So first of all, what did Jesus say about love? On one occasion, when when uh, Jesus was being tested by some of the religious people of his day, one person came up to him and said, Jesus, out of all the recorded commands in Scripture, what's the greatest? I love how Jesus answered in Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, everything hinges on these two things, love God and love people. Sometimes we as people, and I think especially church leaders, can make things too complicated. You know, let's just focus as a church and never lose sight of the importance of loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourself. As many of you know, I, I was gone last weekend. In fact, I couldn't th- help think about during the worship this morning how much difference a week makes. You know, last week I was listening to worship songs in Spanish. Uh, our worship leader here had a baby that uh, last week. Okay, a lot's changed, you know, in, in one week. And so uh, uh, that, that's kind of cool to think about. But But last week, uh, I uh, spent seven uh, glorious days in the beautiful country of El Salvador. El Salvador is this tiny country, smaller in land size than the state of Ohio in Central America, that has a population of six million people. And yet, in midst of some of the poverty and some of the challenges they're facing as a nation, it has beautiful lakes, beautiful mountains, beaches. It has a, uh, a beach line on the Pacific Ocean, and it has uh, just incredible uh, mountain views. In fact, uh, they have volcanoes. And uh, 
about a week ago, about nine days ago on a Friday, I had a chance to go with a group of people up to the top of a volcano in El Salvador to worship with some believers, and it was quite an experience. It was about a 20-degree temperature change from the bottom to the top. Uh, We drove in an SUV to the bottom of the volcano, and then we all climbed out. We got on a pickup truck and held on. A little different laws for their uh, roads there. And uh, it was like a a drive up the mountain like this. And uh, we'd actually had gone there uh, last year, but Uh, We went at night, and I didn't get a chance last year to see the beauty of the scenery from the top of that volcano. So uh, as we got up there, we had a chance to visit with some of the people that are part of the church that worships on top of that volcano. And one of the guys was a coffee farmer. That's what they do on that volcano mountain is they grow coffee. This particular guy standing by the blue barrel Uh, I think his name is Juan Valdez, but I'm not sure. But anyways, he harvests 140,000 coffee plants every year. And he served us some coffee, and it was good. And he says, this is from the coffee I grow. And as much as I found it fascinating talking through an interpreter with uh, some of the people like this coffee farmer, I was even more amazed by the beautiful view that we got to see from the top of that volcano, and pictures just don't do it justice. You know, and as I was up there looking down on this beautiful, beautiful view, I had this thought. I thought, I wonder how long this gorgeous view existed before the El Salvadorians or their ancestors ever discovered it. And then I got thinking, there's parts of this universe And there's parts of the ocean depths that we've never discovered. Our God is so big and so great and so awesome that he has created things yet to be discovered by human beings. And it's something about just pulling back and being in a different location and seeing views you don't normally see. It just was an opportunity for me to take in the grandeur of God. When's the last time you just thought about how awesome God is and just worshiped him for his greatness? Jesus says, the most important thing is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then after taking in that view, then we got to the top of the mountain and and we met with this house church. It's really just a, a, a church that meets on the porch of a house and, and uh, with a tin roof suspended over it. And we met under there, and 50 people showed up on a Friday night to worship God. And it was, it was great. It was great. I, I didn't understand the thing they were saying, but I was taking it in, and I figured out uh, one song sounded like the song we sing. It says, holy, holy, holy. And so they said, santo, santo, santo. So I thought, Okay, I, I know they're not talking about Santa, so I think, it's a, I think it's holy, 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 and how awesome God is. But I think what really moved me was seeing that coffee farmer we talked to earlier walk into the service, into the worship gathering there, and before he began to sing, he got down on his knees and just prayed. And I thought, when's the last time, when's the last time I got down on my knees at the beginning of our worship time and just said, God, you're awesome 
as we approach you in song, let me give you the, worthy, the, 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 the praise that you are worthy of. See, we need to all be looking for ways we can draw near to this God that we worship. Whether it be times of worship, whether it be times set aside in our week to read His Word, times of prayer, times of reflection and meditation, seeking to take in the grandeur of God, but also to be impressed with His holiness, and then to live our lives in such a way that reflect that holiness throughout the week. I don't know about you, but I'm determined to deepen my love for the one that created us. Secondly, Jesus said that not only are we to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but we're to love the people that He created in His image. You see, it's one thing to say we love God, and yet, how does that translate into how we love our neighbor? In other words, how do we go about treating and interacting with those people that maybe live next to us or work next to us or go to school with us that maybe look at life differently than we do. Jesus didn't say, love your neighbor if he thinks like you or acts like you. He just says, love your neighbor. Now, you don't have to go to Mexico, Haiti, or El Salvador to see people who have needs, who have needs that we need to show them practical, real love. We can travel 20 minutes from here and see people who are homeless and are food challenged. We can go across the street in our neighborhood or across the hall at work or at school and find people that are going through a difficult time. And the question is, do we love our neighbor enough to see that they have needs and to seek to make a difference in their life? Now, I know that preachers are famous for coming off a mission trip and trying to to, to make their congregations feel guilty for how blessed we are, and yet I'm determined not to do that this week. That's not my point. But what I do want to share with you is that sometimes, and for those of you who've gone on short-term mission trips, you know this is true. When you go on a short-term mission trip there to serve people, you're very cued in, okay, is there a way that I can serve? Is there a way I can show God's love in a practical way? And yet the challenge for us is to make sure that we have that same focus as we go through our everyday uh, life. One of the things that we did as we visited various families within the church there in El Salvador is that, um, and here's one of the homes that we visited, we would typically ask them, how can we pray for you? Um, This dear lady that served us refreshments Uh, she shared with us about uh, a real struggle of her heart is her concern about her three boys. She has three boys. I think they're 11, 15, and 18. And she says the gang violence is so bad in El Salvador, her prayer is that her sons will not get involved in the gangs. And she said, in fact, this is such an intense concern for her that she'd sent her 18-year-old son to live with a relative in the United States because she did not want him to get involved in the gangs. You know, what we would do is we'd ask them, how are you doing? How can we pray for you? And then we would pray for them. And then I got back here and I thought, when's the last time I went next door and asked my neighbor, is there anything that I can pray for you about? 
Now, I know that might seem a little bit odd, and maybe you have to work into that kind of conversation, but, but I thought, okay, it's, it's one thing to go and do it in another country, but how am I doing that with the people that live near me? One of the ways that we can really love each other is to get connected to one another beyond just our weekend attendances, our weekend worship. And that's why we think it's so important here at Southwest to get involved in a small group. That's where you can really begin to love other people and learn what it means to do life with others and to share God's love with each other. Now, as we do that, it brings us to our second verb, and that's to serve. What did Jesus say about serving? Jesus says that how we serve and whether or not we're willing to serve those in need is a a distinguishing point of whether or not we truly are his followers. In Matthew 25, Jesus said uh, in his teaching this, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Verse 40, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Jesus calls us to serve and to be on the lookout for real needs. Now, the truth is, there will always be needs around them around us. And we are called as Jesus followers to look for those needs and look for ways to meet them. As I shared coming off a mission trip, I'm more thinking about cued in, okay, what are needs of people around me? Yesterday, I was in a public venue. I've been trying to play catch up all week after being out of town. And, and uh, I was working on this message and I, was, uh, I tried to grab a time at a public venue. As you, many of you know, I like to study and drink coffee in public venues where I can think. And I'm, as an extrovert, I like being around people even if I've got the earbuds in and, and focusing on studying. And, and as I walked in, I, I said to this guy that I've seen before in this same coffee shop, I said to him, How's it going today? Now, how many times have you and I asked somebody, how are you doing? How's it going? And honestly, do we really want to know? Okay, I mean, let's be honest. You know, sometimes it's just kind of like, hi, you know, how are you doing? Uh, I had a friend that tested this theory uh, years ago. He told me, and I saw him do it. He, people would say, how are you doing? And he would, with a smile on his face, say, terrible. And he said, it was amazing how many people would say, good, 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 you know, and just walk on by. And so yesterday I walk in and I said, how's it going today? And he says, it's been interesting. Now, honestly, I was tempted. I had some stuff to do just to kind of say, okay, interesting, and blow it off. But I thought there's something underneath that, right? And so I just said, interesting. I don't quite know how to read that. And he started talking to me started pouring out some of the struggles of his life, some of the things he was sitting there in the coffee shop thinking through. And I was kind of taken back. I mean, just, I don't know this guy that well. And just, when I asked that second follow-up question, he just started pouring out what was bothering him. Now, I just come back from a mission trip where, you know, we'd ask people what we could pray for them, and we'd put our arms around them and pray. And I thought, okay, if I did it in El Salvador, why can't I do it in Springboro? 
And I said, would it be okay if I prayed for you right now? He said, I'd love that. When's the last time you dug a little bit deeper when you asked somebody how they're doing? Now, we have to ask ourselves, do we really want to know? Do we really have the time or we want to take the time to find out how that person is doing and how we can show God's love to them? One of the greatest needs in El Salvador is to deal with, as I shared earlier, the real challenge of young people getting pulled into gangs. The church that we sponsor in El Salvador is located in a a village called San Julian. And here's a picture of of that church, uh, Iglesia Cristiana uh, Lifeline. I I don't, I can't even say it. Okay, but it's Lifeline Christian Church. Okay, that's what it is. But anyways, um, here's the young pastor, Alejandra. And by the way, one of the reasons why I want to keep going back to El Salvador, I feel really tall there, okay? Um, I posted that picture on social media. My sister wrote, you look tall there. I said, he's really short, okay? And and here's a close-up of him and his wife and their small son. And uh, he looks like he's 15, but he's really 25. Uh, but he has, uh, he's doing a great job there trying to grow that, that church there in San Julian. And I'm excited that we can come alongside and, and support him, encourage him, and help him. That church started uh, with another church in the United States coming there and helping them do a three-day kid camp. And we did a similar thing. On Saturday, we came in. And, and as we had that Saturday kids activity, I was taken back after talking to some of the families and finding out about the gang violence and how so many young men in El Salvador are getting pulled in, how many little boys were in the crowd. And I thought, these little boys are going to go one or two directions. And there needs to be a vibrant, growing church there that can make a difference in their lives. And so um, here's the dream that I started developing in my heart. I wanted to share it with you and maybe ask you to begin praying for me about this as I saw all those beautiful children there. I thought, wouldn't it be great if I could go back in 2017 and maybe take a team of volunteers from Southwest and we go do like a a three-day kids camp or mini vacation Bible school and, and especially some of you who can speak Spanish and just pour in the lives of these children they're going to be tempted to go in other ways and make a real difference. Maybe think about that. But here's the question for us. How can we in our setting, maybe you'll never go to El Salvador, but how can we in our setting make a difference in this community, in the lives of young people? You know, we've had a whole campaign as a church. We called it the next generation and isn't it good to see those, those metal frames go up outside? Isn't that good to see? Yeah, I'm excited about that. But you know what? I don't think that just because we build a new section of our building, 8,000 square feet approximately for children, children's ministry, I don't think that just because we build that, that children and families will start flocking to us as a church. Now, I think that's important to make room for them, and I've said that all along. But I think that it's important that people in this community know we really care and that we're really willing to serve the community. That's how they're going to know there's a church here that loves God and loves people and is willing to serve the community. And I'm grateful that this next weekend, this Saturday, we're going to have our 
Uh, we called it in the past Fall Carnival. This year, Andrew Beal's heading it up, and he changed it to a new name, Autumn Fest, and I think that's great. And we're going to have Autumn Fest this Saturday, and there's a sign-up uh, in, in the lobby. We would love for you to come uh, and enjoy it for an hour and serve for an hour. And we'd love for us as a church to live out this part of our purpose statement, to really put hands and feet to motion and to serve the community in a real way. And you say, well, how's a carnival going to make a difference in people's lives? Well, it just shows them that, that there's people who care enough to offer a free carnival and that we're willing to invest in children and families. Can you be a part of that to help serve the community so that we can show God's love to people that need it. And finally, our last point, we're out of time, but is our last word is share. Now, we don't have really time to develop this because I looked at my watch, we're out of time, but, but when you look at share, when you think about that, I, I'm thought, I think of Jesus' great commission at the end of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. We'll talk more about this next week when we talk about mission. But when we think about that, we commonly call it the Great Commission, but another way to look at it is a great co-mission, that we've been invited to share with Jesus his mission, to share about him and his love and the Father's love to others. One of the stories that I was moved by, inspired by from my visit to El Salvador was how the San Julian Church started. You know, they had the kids camp, but after that flash, how were they going to help sustain the work? And so uh, what Aleandra did was he, he rode into uh, um, El Salvador and he rode his bicycle around looking for someone that would host a small group or house church. And we talked to one of the ladies that hosts the house church, and I think we got a picture of her, and we were talking to him. We said, what made you want to open up your home to be a house church? She said, I saw this young guy riding around on a bicycle, and he looked so fearful. And she said, I asked him, what are you looking for? And he says, I'm looking for someone that would host a church so I can preach the Word of God. And she said, you can use my home. And the house church started meeting in her home that week, and that's been a foothold to help that church begin to grow. Now they have six house churches, and I'm grateful for the good work that's, doing, that's being done there. I was inspired by Aleandra's boldness, even in the, in the midst of maybe his timidity. And I thought, when's the last time I had the courage to share my faith with someone I didn't know? When's the last time you were bold and shared your faith with someone you didn't know or maybe even someone you do know? Are you willing to join me in praying that we can be bolder in sharing our faith in Jesus with others? Well, as we wrap up our time together, we're gonna do as we always do, observe a time of communion. You know, as we said earlier, we, we really think it's important for us to be a church that loves God, loves people, serve the community, share Jesus. And we even built it into our logo as a church. But if you look at our logo, it all permeates, it all comes from the cross. It all starts with the love of God that we see in Jesus Christ. That's why we're motivated to love him and love others is because of his love. And during this time of communion, we're reminded as we take the bread 
as we take the cup, that Jesus' love was real. It was sacrificial. It was personal. He died for you, and he died for me. As we take communion together today, let's reflect on the love that Jesus Christ has for us. And let's allow his love to motivate us to love him back, to love others, to serve and share with others in his name. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you for this opportunity to have a time just to reflect on your love for us. Father, we know you call us to live a life of love, but that comes, it springs from your love for us and your son's sacrificial love for us. Help us during this time of communion really soak up his love. Help us reflect and remember it was costly what Jesus did for us on the cross. Help us be willing in turn to count and pay the cost to love others. Help this be a time that we're refocused and refueled in that love. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen.